Hey, can we celebrate being together at church this morning? Man, I'm excited to be here. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am just grateful and excited to be with you all this morning. If you're watching us online, we love you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of our ACF community, and we're really excited that you are with us this morning as well. Well, like Pastor Cody said, we are in the middle of a series called The Deeper Life Through Sexuality. And can I just say, if you were here last week and you're here today, good job. I'm impressed. Thank you. Like... Well done. Um, Man, last week we had an incredible conversation. Pastor Brian, just in such a beautiful way, laid out uh, this idea. We talked about really, well, the title of it was Jesus, Transgenderism, and the Church. That was the conversation last week. And, And really we talked about how do we love people who are struggling, who are far from God, or who may be struggling with identity, and yet at the same time call all of us into holiness. And so it's such a fantastic conversation. So if you weren't here for that, I would highly encourage you to go back and to listen to that. I hope last week's conversation um, spurred conversation beyond these walls. I hope you had conversation with your family. I hope you had conversation with your kids. I hope you had conversation with your life group and your small group, um, because this is important conversation uh, to continue to have about how to love those far from God and yet at the same time call all of ourselves into holiness. Um, well, we're continuing the deeper life through sexuality, but this week, it, last week was such a heavy week. This week, we decided to lighten up a little bit, and so today, we're talking about the sin of pornography. So, just simple, light, easy week. Just sit back and enjoy. Um, no, but we're, we're, we're continuing to talk about these things because these things are so important and need to be talked about in the church. I hope you can excuse me today. I've been battling a ter- horrific cold and uh, Wednesday night, was, it, was, it was not good. I was like, hey, everybody, thanks for coming. So at least I have the majority of my voice back. But today we're going to start, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there. If you're taking notes, you can put that down. We're going to start in verse 3. And um, what I want to do today is I want to paint a picture. I want to paint a picture of who we are in Christ. But even before that, I want to paint a picture of who God is. Because I don't just want to have the conversation, hey, pornography is bad, you shouldn't look at it, and now go have a great Sunday afternoon, right? I want to give us a bigger, better vision for us as a church than that. So we're going to start, though, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So here we go. For this is the will of God. All right, stop. Right here. Has anybody ever prayed, ever thought, God, what is your will for my life? God, I I wish I knew your will. If I knew your will, I would do your will. God, please reveal your will to me. Has anyone ever thought that, prayed that? Hey, good news. Uh, God's answering your prayer right here, right now. This is the will of God. Ready? Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor and not in the passions of lusts like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is the will of God for you. God's will is that you would abstain from sexual immorality. So good job. Now you know God's will. Go live it out. Have a great afternoon, right? If it was only that easy. Actually, God's will for you is sanctification. That is God's will. That is God's will for all of his followers, for all of his children, for all the believers, is sanctification. This is the will of God for you. And what is sanctification? 
It means that each and every day, you're beginning to look more and more like Jesus. You're beginning to act more and more like Jesus. You're beginning to speak more and more like Jesus. That this, this fleshly body that we have is being sanctified to look more like Jesus. Now, here's the catch. You're never going to arrive. Right? This is a journey, not a destination. Right? You have been made holy through the blood of Jesus, but now you're also being made holy to look more like Jesus through this life as we live it. We will eventually arrive there, but that is after the return of Jesus. But until then, we're continuing to be sanctified. That's God's will for your life. And how do we become sanctified? Step number one, abstain from sexual immorality. Step number one. It's not the only thing, but it is one of the main things. One of the big things. That, in fact, so much so, Paul says, this is God's will for your life. So as we move on and we talk about this topic of pornography, I, I wanted to paint a bigger, better picture because the reality is I can stand up here and I can tell you all the facts. I can tell you how devastating pornography is to your brain. I can tell you that it literally rewires your brain. I can stand up here and and talk to you that pornography is as addictive as heroin is. I can stand up here and and tell you that that pornography, literally it rewires the chemicals in your brain to cause you to think differently. I can stand up here and tell you all the research that's been done and all the articles I've read that talk about how pornography literally kills gray matter in your brain. That quite literally, you're getting dumber by watching pornography. And that's not figurative, that's actually happening in your brain. I could stand up here and tell you that what cigarettes are to cancer, pornography is to human trafficking. That literally pornography is the vehicle that continues to move human trafficking forward. That while you can smoke one cigarette and not get cancer, but having a lifestyle of smoking cigarette, cigarettes more than likely will cause cancer. You can, yeah, you can look at porn once and maybe not see a human trafficked girl, but continuing to look at pornography, you are looking at trafficked girls, girls kidnapped and being forced to be raped for your pleasure. Like, I can tell you all that stuff, but I don't want to start there. I don't want to have that conversation per se today. I, I want to paint a bigger, better picture. See, one of the most important conversations that we can be having about this, about porn, is not actually about porn, but it's about God. I want to have a conversation about God today and who God is, because when we can have a better understanding of who our God is and who we are and who he's created us and designed us to be, all of a sudden we're going to look at all of this a bit differently. See, I think having a great picture and image of God is so much better than saying, hey, porn's bad, don't watch it. But instead going, man, God is great and he's incredible and he's created you for some particular things. And when we walk in them, we are going to find so much more satisfaction in life than what pornography can offer us. And so we're going to dive into this conversation this morning. But as we dive in, I'm going to, I'm going to pull a Pastor Brian card. Last week, Pastor Brian said like, hey, uh, today is going to be a little bit more of a teaching than a preaching time. Um, today for me, this is going to be a little more teaching than preaching. This is the stuff I geek out on, by the way, if you don't know me. Like, I, I could spend hours and hours and hours just geeking out and talking to you guys about each one of these points, um, but I won't. Don't worry. Um, like, oh, no. No, no, it's not going to, we're not going to go hours and hours and hours, just an hour um, into this. But I want to talk about three aspects of who our God is. And these are not the only three aspects of who our God is, but these are three fundamental, foundational truths about our God. And it's important that we know these, and it's going to help us as we move forward to talk about porn. 
uh, down the road here in just a minute. So these are the three things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, covenant. We're going to talk about plurality or unity and oneness. We're going to talk about that our God is a God of covenant. Our God is a God of plurality and unity. And our God is a God of oneness. And then what that means for us. Sounds exciting, I know. But hang with me for this journey. So first of all, I want to talk about that our God is a God of covenant. This is a huge, huge reality of God, and it is something we do not talk about nearly enough in our modern church. Our God is a God of covenant. Now, what is covenant? Covenant is uh, more of an ancient term that was used much more than we use it today. We typically don't use the term covenant. Um, we don't go to the bank and sign a covenant for our, you know, our, our mortgage, um, because there is a difference between covenants and, and contracts. Now, modern day, we have things like contract, but we also have things like treaties and wills. Uh, those are kind of like covenants. But the thing about a covenant is a covenant is, is, is completely based upon relationship. A covenant is built and based upon a relationship. And if one party breaks the covenant, the covenant is not over with. Where like, if I break the contract with my bank, the, the contract's done and over with. But in the covenant, it doesn't just go away. So our God is a God of covenant. And it's established and based on the reality of relationships. And now, when we look at scriptures, we see five major covenants throughout scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, there's five major covenants. There's many more than that. But I want to just, I want to touch on these five really quick. So, because I want to give you an image and a picture of what covenant is and how important it is. And how important that our God is a God who keeps covenant. So the first covenant we see, really the first main covenant we see, is the covenant to Noah, the the Noahic covenant. And then the covenant to Noah is God promises Noah after the flood, hey, Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I will no longer, I will never again kill everybody by flooding the entire world. And I say, thank you, God, for that covenant. Thank you that you have not destroyed us again through water. And and God even says, look, Noah, what I'm going to do as a reminder to you, it's interesting, and God says, as a reminder to me as God, I'm going to put my bow in the sky. And when you see my bow, you're going to remember my promise and my covenant that I will no longer flood the whole world again. And, And Noah says, thank you. Thank you for not killing everybody again. That's great. I like that covenant. The next major covenant we see is a covenant that God makes with Abraham, um, the Abrahamic covenant. And the covenant that God makes with Abraham is he says, look, Abraham, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you land. I have land that I'm covenanting to you. I'm promising you. And a part that gets often missed in this covenant and the main point of the covenant and the entire world will be blessed through your descendants. Like, I'm creating a covenant of blessing to the entire world that I'm going to fulfill through you. So that's, that's the covenant that God creates with Abraham. Then after that, we have the covenant, <clears throat> excuse me, that God creates with Moses. And God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt. They get into the desert, and God says, okay, now I'm going to create a covenant with you for, for Israel, Moses. And this covenant is, one, you will inherit this land, this promised land, that is my covenant to you, that your, these people, these gen, this generation, like the, and their descendants, they're going to inherit the promised land, and I'm going to give you my law. So you're going to take my law into this new land that I'm promising you. <clears throat> and this is also the first covenant that comes with both blessings and curses. And God says, look, if you do my law, I'm going to bless you. If you do not follow my law, there will be curses that come with that. And so this is the covenant that God makes with Moses. And then the next covenant is the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God makes with David, where God says to David, 
David, I, I, I'm going to make a covenant with you that one day as you sit on the throne now, one day one of your descendants will sit on a throne and that kingdom will never, ever end. That kingdom will last forever. And what I hope you're noticing is one covenant absolutely connects and plays off the next covenant. And the covenants start super broad and they get narrower and narrower and narrower until you get to this last covenant of Jesus. And Jesus, when he's with the disciples, he holds the cup during communion and he says, this cup represents the blood, my new covenant. He says, all the other covenants have already been fulfilled. The, the covenant to Noah, the covenant to uh, Abraham, the covenant to Moses, the covenant to David have all been fulfilled, and now there's a new covenant. And this covenant is not just about land, it's not just about people, but it's about our souls. And it's the covenant of salvation for us, the covenant of freedom. And so our God is a God of covenant, and and this is super important. And he's not just a God of covenant, but he's a God who keeps his covenant. The next thing I want to talk about is our God is a God of plurality. So that sounds weird. Why would we talk about that? You're talking about we have multiple gods? No. Our God is a God of plurality. The word we use in the church is Trinity. Perhaps you've heard that word before. Perhaps you've used that word before. The, the Trinity. Now, there's probably people in the room or watching online that are going, yeah, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. I know that. But the concept of Trinity is saturated in the Bible from beginning to end. And we see that our God is this God of plurality. And why is that important? Because He's He's plurality, and yet he's in community. He's a God of community, which is why we are to be people of community. In fact, we read in Genesis 1.26 this idea of plurality. He says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So we see God creating humanity. He says, look, we're going to create him in our image, not just in our image, but in our likeness. There's this idea of like plurality there. And I can dive into this. I, I love talking Trinity stuff. I can totally geek out with you guys on this, but I, I won't. Um, but there's a couple other instances in the New Testament that we see the idea of Trinity. Um, and the, the biggest main one, of course, is Jesus being baptized, right? So Jesus gets baptized, and we have Jesus, and then God speaks from the heavens, says, this is my son, whom will please. And then we have the Holy Spirit ascending as a dove onto Jesus. Like, we see all of them right there. And then Jesus himself affirms this idea in Matthew chapter 28, when he says, look, disciples, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm giving you my last marching orders. Go in the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we see this idea of plurality, but even within the plurality, God is a God of unity, and that's what's so beautiful about it. But we also have a God of oneness. We don't serve multiple gods, and this is really important too. Um, For Israel, in ancient times, like the ancient world, it was complete, a complete polytheistic world. Like monotheism didn't even exist. And if you don't know what those words mean, simply polytheism means like worshiping many, many gods versus monotheism, worshiping one god. Like every people group, every tribe, every city, every nation, they were all polytheistic. Even Israel, while they are in Egypt, before they get delivered, they were more than likely and most, almost certainly a polytheistic people. They were living amongst Egypt, probably worshiping the Egyptian gods, right? Because God had not revealed himself to them yet. And then what does God do? He takes them out of Egypt and he puts them into the wilderness and he goes to make this covenant with Moses. And what, is, what does Israel do? Well, we got to start making gods to worship, and they make the golden calf, right? Like, immediately they go back to their polytheism. And so what does God teach Israel to do? He commands them to pray. And in this prayer, they are to pray it two times a day, 
every single day. Every single day. Does anybody know what this prayer is called? There's someone in this room who knows what this prayer is called. Thank you, the Shema. Get that person a gold sticker, please, ushers, right there. The Shema. All right, and, and the Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this is how the Shema went. It started like this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, and then it continues after that. But they were supposed to say that two times a day, every day. Why? Because God was teaching them to remind themselves, look, we serve one God. There's no other gods out there. There's no other gods to search for. There's no other gods that are going to satisfy. There's no other gods that are going to save us. There's no other gods that are going to deliver us. There is one God, and he is our God. And, and so even then, we're learning that there's the oneness of God. And yet, even in the Shema, this is some of me geeking out here, um, even within the Shema, there's this idea in the language of the Hebrew that there's like singularity, plural, singularity, unity. The Shema in the Hebrew goes, uh, Shema Israel, they would have said, Adonai Elohimnu Adonai Ichad. Okay, and, and what they're saying is that the, the Adonai uh, Elohimnu Adonai is the Lord, our God is one. Adonai is one, single. There's one God, the Lord, one. But Elohimnu is a plural form of God. The Lord, our God, is a plural form of God. And then Adonai, again, one God, and then Ichad means one, or it also means multiple things coming together in unity to make one. So it's, I just love Scripture, how beautiful it is when you start to understand this, like God is weaving in who He is throughout all of Scripture. But we have the oneness of God. So what we have right now, we have covenant, we have plurality or unity, and we have oneness. And now you're sitting around going, cool, how, what does that have to do with pornography? That, that, was, that was fun, Josh, but what does that have to do with pornography? I promise you we're getting real close to that. See, we are created in God's image. We read that, right? Genesis 1:26. then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We are created in the image, and not just the image of God, but the likeness of God. And why did God create us in his image and likeness? He didn't create the animals that way. He didn't create anything else that way, but he created humanity. Because God wanted humanity to fill the earth. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because God wanted us to fill the earth with his image and likeness. And to fill it and show creation, this is our God. In fact, when you look in scripture, God always, always uses humanity to move through, uh, to move through uh, all of his plan. He, he never does his plan apart from humanity including salvation. Salvation, he comes as a form of a human to fulfill his plan. God always uses humanity. And so we were created in the image and likeness of God. And part of that plan is that we represent and show God to the world. You see, and our God is a, cov a God of covenant. He's a God of, of plurality, and he's a God of oneness. And so what he has done is he has created us a way to show covenant plurality and oneness in one single step. He does it in the garden. We read about it. He, he sets up this covenant for, for humans to step into, and when they step into it, they reflect who God is to the rest of the world. We see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
what we have in this very moment, the first thing God institutes, he has man, he creates woman, and then he creates covenant for them to step into. See, that's what marriage is. Marriage is covenant. It's not just a contract. It's not just a thing you do because you fall in love with each other. Now, that's great, but it is so much deeper and stronger than that, and it is designed by God to reflect. What do you have in marriage? You have covenant, you have plurality, two people, and then you have singularity, becoming one, and the two shall become one flesh. In, in this very moment in, in, in the garden, early on, God creates a way for us to reflect who he is to the world and to ourselves, to remind ourselves of who God is. This is what marriage is. This is why it's such a big deal. This is why it's so important. It's, it's why when I have like young couples come into my office and they're like, hey, we want to get married and, and we're so in love with each other. And, and oh man, have you, just look at her. How can I not be in love with her? And she's like, oh, just look at him. How can I not be in love with him? Like, that's awesome. That's going to change, you know. <laughs> you're ready. But I want to talk about covenant. Like, you're not just like making a contract with each other. You're stepping into a covenant with each other. And covenants were made to not be broken. They are all about sacrifice. Covenant is sacrifice. In fact, a sacrifice had to have been made for a covenant to actually have taken place. It's about sacrifice for each other. And, and can I just say for a moment, I want to step back for just a second and say, look, if you're in this room and you've been part of a failed marriage, you've been part of many failed marriages, can I just say this? There is grace in Jesus for you. There is, there is forgiveness in Christ. There is freedom for you in this. Like, you do not have to carry that shame. If you're watching online, you do not have to carry that shame. Jesus came, and he took that shame to the cross. And you don't have to clean yourself up, figure your life out, figure it all out, and then you, you get the grace of Jesus. No, you get the grace of Jesus before any of that happens. And so I want you to hear that, because that is, that is absolutely true. Don't walk in shame anymore. But at the same time, I also want us to see and understand the weight of marriage and what it was actually designed to do, that it was designed to show the world and remind us who God is. See, isn't this such a bigger, better picture than like, hey, don't have sex outside of marriage because, you know, it's a sin? You know, try telling that to like a non-believer. It's sin. Cool. Why is it a sin? I don't know, but it says it in the Bible, so it's a sin. Cool. Well, why is that such a big deal? Because um, it's a sin, right? Like, like, was God in heaven going, okay, sex outside of marriage, sin, no sin. Eh, sin, okay. Sin, everybody. No, because there's a, 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 a much bigger purpose to what it is and what it's about. That, that, that having sex outside of the covenant is distorting what the purpose of this whole thing is and why it was created. See, in Genesis 2, God creates a way for humans to express and experience the image of God. That, it, that within a marriage, when we have sex, we're expressing and experiencing the image of God. And that was literally by design. And see, marriage is an, marriage is an experience and an example of the image of God. And, and, and it's to us and to the world. And so, Again, this is why this is a big deal. It's inside of covenant. And, and Paul takes it a step further here. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 5.3. He goes back and he quotes Genesis again. And he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Then Paul says, This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So 
not only are we reflecting and showing the image of God to the world and ourselves, we're, we're experiencing and we're reflecting Christ, who Jesus is, and the local church. And I want to, again, take a step back for a minute uh, to speaking to the single people in the room. Some of you are, 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 are going, but so what you're saying is I can't experience this, this, this covenant, this, this unity, and this oneness if, unless I'm married? No, not at all. That's not what I'm saying. See, right here when Paul says I'm talking about Christ in the church, that is for all of us. That all of us, when we walk into the covenant that Jesus created us for us, the new covenant, and we uh, plurality, all of us come together in, under the banner of Jesus, and we become unified together in Christ. We are living out. We are living out covenant, plurality, and singularity, the image of God in Jesus Christ. And that is the beauty of the church. It's why you can't be a Christian and, and not be in community, not be part of church. Like, you're missing the main thing. It's why Jesus calls us the bride of Christ. Again, he goes back to this marriage reference, but you do not have to be married to express this and to experience this completely. And so, and too, I want to say this too. If you're single in the room, you want to be here next week because we are talking about how to honor God with our sexuality as singles too. And so it, it, this is not just for married people. In fact, Jesus was not married. Paul was not married, and yet they completely were able to live out this concept of, of covenant and plurality and singularity together. See, everything God gave us is to cast a vision. Marriage is to cast a vision of who God is and what is to come at the same time. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says this thing. He says, look, right now we see dimly as in a mirror, but one day we will see face to face. Well, today we have really, really great mirrors, and so you might read that and go, that doesn't make sense. I can see perfectly clear in my mirror. For them, they did not have that. It was like brass kind of shined up. For us, we might say, might modernize it and say more like, uh, today we see dimly as in standard def, but, to, but then we will see in 4K, right? Like, that may, may help to understand that a little better. Have you ever seen standard def lately? Watched like a football game the other day. I saw something. I'm like, how did I even know what was going on, man? That's crazy. But we see dimly as in a mirror. And these things that God has given us to represent himself, to represent Jesus, and to represent what is to come are but shadows of what is to come, including marriage and including sex. In fact, Jesus uh, speaks to this. There's, this. there's this moment in Jesus' life where the Pharisees come to him and they're trying to trick him. And they're like, Jesus, we, riddle me this, right? Like, a woman is married and her husband dies. And then she remarries, and that husband dies, and she remarries, and that husband dies, and she remarries, and that husband dies. Other than, like, really bad, for, you know, fortune for this woman, um, like, who is she married to when she gets to heaven? And Jesus says, oh, don't worry about it. There will be no marriage in heaven. And I used to hear that and go, oh, that's kind of sad. I love my wife. I want to be, be married in heaven. Oh, if there's no marriage in heaven, there's no sex in heaven. Oh, that's really sad. Man... <laughs> Why would God do this to us? Why would he take this away? And when I was studying for today, I really felt like the Holy Spirit revealed something to me. And it was this idea of what is marriage and what is sex? Like, what, what, what's so good about them? And I was like, man, it's joy. 
It's pleasure, it's intimacy, it's togetherness, it's vulnerability, it's trust, it's acceptance, it's love. See, these things are shadows of what is to come. The reason there's no marriage and no sex in heaven is because we will have all of that, what what marriage and sex represent and what they are, times a billion with God. We will have infinite joy, infinite pleasures. The psalm says that in your hands are pleasures forevermore. We will have infinite intimacy with God, intimate togetherness with each other and with God, intimate vulnerability and yet trust, acceptance, and love. Remember, these are, these are showing us of what is to come. We will have it with God and we will have it with each other, so much so that we're, we would look at marriage and sex and go, yeah, I don't want to go back to that. What we have here is far superior. That, that is the shadow of what we stand in now with reality. And that is, that is the beauty of what is to come. That is, that is the living hope that we hope for God to continue to keep his covenant promise. Like, that's what we're waiting for, is for God to continue to keep his covenant promise and return, and then we step into this kingdom with him. And it will be far superior than what we know and experience today. We must have a higher view of sex and sexuality and what it is. Whether you're married or single, it doesn't matter. But to have a higher view of it, to know what it is and why it is, makes it all the more better and easier to go, this is why sex outside of marriage is so destructive. This is why pornography is so destructive. Because it's absolutely cheapening and taking away this incredible thing that God's given us and this image and the shadow of what is to come. And so I want to talk about the sin of pornography. Right? The sin of pornography, the counterfeit to what God has created, because that's what the enemy does. He counterfeits what God makes. He gives us something that kind of seems like it's the real deal, but it's really actually not at all the real deal, and in fact, quite destructive. See, God created sex to be within covenant, and, and we just walked through why that is, because the reality is covenant sex is the best sex. Can I say that in church? Um, covenant sex is the best sex. And, and I'm not just making that up. Like, studies, research is showing this. Like, there, there are universities that study this stuff, and I've read the articles talking about, like, couples that have been married for 20, 30, 40 years, that sex is so much more satisfying and, and, and complete for them than someone who's just sleeping around all the time. Like, at the end, in the end, someone who's sleeping around all the time, at the, at the end of that road is just emptiness, It's not satisfaction. It's not togetherness. It's not oneness. See, when God created sex, part of it was to bring us together as as one, right? But one physically, but also one spiritually. Like uh, uh, Matt Chandler says it like this. He says that sex is the mingling of souls. That when a husband and wife sleep together, that literally not only is their body together, but their souls are mingling together, and it binds them together as a husband and wife, and that's what it was created to do. It's why Paul writes when he says, don't you know that when a man sleeps with a prostitute, he becomes one with her? That, 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 that's what it was created to do. And so if it's supposed to bind us together and, and create unity as one together, both physically and spiritually together, then when we look at pornography, what are we doing? we're absolutely removing the person that our soul is trying to mingle to. Like, there's not even a person. It's just a screen. That's why they, what they're realizing is the best sex is covenant sex. And, and, and it's the opposite of what the world sells, right? Like, the world is like, hey, just keep, keep looking. Keep, keep searching. You're going to find it eventually. 
And there's this terminology called porn hunting. And porn hunting is when you're on your phone and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you're scrolling. And if you first start looking at porn, it's like, oh, every image, every video is like, oh my gosh, I got to watch this, I got to watch this. But pretty soon it's like, no, that's not satisfying me. No, that's not satisfying me. Got to keep looking. Because what am I looking for? I'm looking for something that will satisfy me. I'm looking for the one that will satisfy me. And then maybe I find the one that satisfies and I watch it. I'm like, okay, that satisfied me today. But then tomorrow, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't satisfy me anymore. And I got to keep hunting and keep hunting and keep hunting and keep hunting. And what am I doing? I'm looking for something that will satisfy my, my soul in porn. But the reality is there's nothing that doesn't exist. Your soul cannot be satisfied through porn. It can only be destroyed. And what's What's amazing is when you start looking at the scriptures and you, you see a moment kind of like this. You see Jesus, he's at the well and this woman shows up at the well and this woman has gotten around. She's had many, many husbands and the guy she's living with isn't even her husband anymore. And she's thirsty. She's weary. She's tired. She's empty. And what does Jesus say? He says, I offer you living water. If you drink the water I have, you will never be thirsty again. What I offer you will satisfy your soul. And that's what Jesus offers us. It's what the covenant and, and, and plurality and singularity is supposed to do, is to, is to be a form of satisfaction for us. Again, representing what is to come and representing who has come, Jesus but at the same time, it satisfies our soul. But even beyond that, Jesus satisfies. Whether you're married, whether you're single, Jesus satisfies your soul. And it's interesting. I was, I was writing this down. And I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus satisfies our thirst. There, there's this term, perhaps you've heard it. If you're probably under 30 in this room, you've definitely heard it. It's called thirst trap. I heard people saying it before I did. It's thirst trap. If you don't know what thirst trap is, it's typically women who wear very little clothes, but men do it too. And they post pictures on like Instagram and you're scrolling and you stop on their post to look at this picture. You got trapped because of your thirst looking for something. And Jesus is like, no, you don't have to be thirst trapped anymore. I'm going to offer you water that's going to satisfy your soul completely. Completely. You'll never need to look anywhere else again. I'm going to fully satisfy your soul. Stop swiping looking to quench your thirst. Jesus is right there, right? And, and, and that's what pornography is. Pornography is feeding you ash and you think you're drinking water. And see, isn't this a better image and a better picture than like, hey, pornography's bad, don't watch it. It can hurt you. Right? Isn't this a better picture and image of that than, okay, just, just don't watch it, just, just grind it out, grit your teeth. But going, no, no, there's something far bigger and far better that God has created for me to experience and to reflect to the world. So as we wrap up here, I want to give you just a a couple quick practical steps. If if you're stuck in in the cycle and in the sin of pornography, I want to give you a couple of steps, uh, practical steps that you can start today um, to leave here. Because I don't want to just talk about this in theory. I want to give you some practical steps. I did not make these up. I stole them from a really smart pastor. Um, I've actually taught them before a couple years ago. I'm going to come back to them today because they're really good. And it's, it's CPR, CPR. So you can write these down. I'm going to go through them pretty quick here. Uh, but this is it. The first C is acronyms. The first C is confess. Confess your sin. The, the number one way we start to sanctify our lives and walk through our sin is by confessing it. There's power in confession because the sin is the darkness, and when you bring darkness into light, it cannot survive. 
and start, you start confessing that sin every single time. Every single time you lust, every single time you have a fantasy, every time you stare that person down and undress them with your eyes, you confess it. You're like, Josh, that's like 50 times a day right now. Cool. Then 50 times a day, you're going to confess it. And I hope you have a group of men. I hope you have a group of women that you're a part of that you can confess this to. If, if you're not, man, we have groups and you need to be in a group. I, I'm in a life group and we have a life group chat for guys. And man, we send mostly stupid memes to each other. But every once in a while, every once in a while, it's like, man, hey, I'm struggling right now, guys. Pray for me. And I know when that happens, every guy in that group is stopping what they were doing and praying for that person. Confess. Next, pray. Do you wake up every single morning and say, Holy Spirit, fill me today? Every day, Paul says, be being filled. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me today. Empower me to say no to pornography. Empower me to love you, Jesus, more than I want to look at pornography. Do you know that's actually possible? But it takes, takes intentionality that you're going to pray, God, empower me. Holy Spirit, empower me. And, and let me just say this. If you wake up tomorrow and you say, Holy Spirit, empower me to follow you, to love you, to not look at pornography, you still might look at pornography. You do have the choice. But what you're going to find is couple things. One is you're going to feel like a deeper conviction. And two, while you may have looked at it four times, you looked at it two times. And okay, that, that's, that is progress. Okay? But Holy Spirit wants to empower you to live a sanctified life. You cannot live a sanctified life apart from Holy Spirit. It is not possible. It is the Holy Spirit who, who empowers you to live that sanctified life. Third, repent repentance is not saying you're sorry. That is not repentance. Repentance, literally, in the, in, in the language that's written, means to change your mind, to think differently about the thing that, than you think of it currently. In other words, you're going to think differently about pornography. You're, you're not going to think about it the same way you've always thought about it. And even if you've thought about it and you think it's bad now, do you really think about it for what it is? Hmm, I want to go to this thing where girls were kidnapped and raped and pleasure myself. That's kind of heavy, but do you think about it that way? I want to look at girls getting raped. I want to look at guys raping girls. That's what's happening. We need to change the way we think about it, and it puts it in a whole new light and perspective. The next form of CPR, C, is Christ. Desire Jesus over porn desire Jesus over porn, and you're going, man, that's, I've, I've tried that. It's really hard. Yeah, it, it really is, but again, it comes back to being empowered by the Holy Spirit to, and, and just praying, Jesus, help me desire you over porn. Help me desire you, and, and I love what uh, 1 Thessalonians says. It says, don't live out the passion and lust like the Gentiles do. Sometimes we just continue to desire porn just because we keep feeding it to ourselves, not directly, but indirectly, right? Like it's the movies we're watching, it's the, it's the sexually charged music we listen to. And we're like, I wonder why I can't stop watching this stuff. Well, are you continuing to feed it into your mind and soul 24-7 just through other means? Next is pursue marriage. And you're thinking, whoa, Josh, that's a little, that's a strong stance to take. This is Paul's words, not mine. But I, I want to speak to this for just a minute. Because just because you're single does not mean you have to be pursue marriage at all. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is like, look, if you've been dating for five years 
Maybe you're living together, maybe you're sleeping together. Like, either pursue marriage or stop. Stop dating. Like, what are we doing here? Again, there's a purpose for marriage. There's a purpose for sex. There's a design for this. So pursue marriage. If, if, you're, if this is the game you're playing, stop playing the game and pursue marriage. Paul says, look, it's better that you get married than burn with desire for each other. But then he goes on to say, but I would prefer you just not to get married. We'll talk more about that next week. But he says, look, if you're just going to burn for desire with each other, then get married. And again, this is not for everybody. Maybe you're single and you're like, I don't want to pursue marriage. Great. Like, that's fantastic. You can experience all of this without being married. And maybe you're 15. You know what? Don't pursue marriage. Like, not, not, <laughs> not okay. Not right now. Someday, maybe, but not right now. Right? But there are people in the room that either need to pursue marriage or stop what they're doing. And, and, and it's like, man, would I rather just keep doing this because it makes sense financially, or would I just rather keep just destroying my soul? And again, think differently about it. And then finally, remove access. Remove access. There is, there's a billion-dollar industry right here in my hands, a billion-dollar industry right here in my hands. I have access to it 24-7. It never takes a day off. No wonder it's so easy. Pornography used to not be a, as, as a epidemic as it is. You used to have to go to the store, buy a magazine, stare someone in the face awkwardly, hand them your money, grab it and walk out the door with a line of people behind you, right? Like, now, 24-7, never takes a day off, nobody has to know. Remove the access. That can look like a couple things. It can mean like, there's like X3 Watch, there's Covenant Eyes, uh, there's an organization that we love, we promote, we know these guys. It's called PeerDesire.com. Check them out. Phenomenal organization. But What's it going to take? Maybe it means you got to get rid of that iPhone. Maybe it means you got to get rid of that smartphone. And you're like, is that even possible? It, it actually is. You can have a flip phone. They still make them, I checked. You can. But how bad do you want to get free from your sin? How bad is it? Is it, is it worth the phone? Is it worth your marriage? Is it worth your soul? How badly do you want to remove this from your life? You know, Paul, Paul says, the writer of Hebrews is what I'm supposed to say, um, writes this and he says, look, you, you, you think you've resisted sin? You think you've worked hard? Basically, he says, but did you die? Like, the writer says, look, you have yet to resist sin to the shedding of your own blood. Have you resisted sin that hard? Have you shed your blood yet? Jesus says, look, if, if your eyes cause you to sin, like, gouge them out. Is that literally or figuratively? You make the choice. Right? But if someone shows up here next week and they've gouged their eyes out, that's not on me. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, what are you willing to do what should you do to resist sin? What's, what's worse, having one eye or losing your soul? Remove access. I want us to take some action steps today. These are in your seat. We do this every week. But man, these are ways that we can say, I'm, I'm going I'm to do something about this in my life. And maybe you're not fully addicted to pornography, but 
All of us are sexually broken, every single person in this room. And all of us have wrestled with lust. We've wrestled with thoughts in our minds that have taken us away from what is truly God's intent and design and desire for us to live, to reflect Christ and the church to ourselves and to the world, to experience that together corporately as the church and in our smaller corporate ways as as married couples. But we've all distorted that, every one of us. And so I want to give us some action steps this, to, this week that we can take. You can fill out the card. You can drop in the basket on the way out. But the first action step is this. Begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're, thought, maybe you're here just and you're like, man, I, I just thought it was all about the rules. I thought God was like, nah, don't have sex outside of marriage because, you know, it's the way the coin landed. No, but there's actually something in, in, intentional that God wants for you, that God has for you. And you want to say yes to that Begin a relationship with Jesus. Next is pray for a deeper desire of Jesus. Maybe you just need to desire Jesus. Desire Jesus. I love what David writes in Psalm 51. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know when he writes that? When he's repenting for his affair. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Give me a deeper desire of you, God. Uh, number three, memorize First Thessalonians chapter four. Maybe you just need to quote that when those desires come up. You're just going to start quoting scripture. This is, my des- this is my will for you. Sanctification. And finally, intentionally start CPR, CPR in your life this week. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, God. God, we thank you, first of all, that in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, that you have taken to the cross all of our sexual brokenness, all of our shame, God, all of the sin in our lives. God, and you truly, you have set us free. God, forgive us for remaining slaves to this thing you've set us free from, all of us that are in you. Thank you, God, that you meet us at the point of our sin. At the very moment, at the very point we find ourselves in sin, at that moment is where you show up. You don't wait for us to figure it out. You don't wait for us to clean ourselves up. You don't wait for us to get our act together. You don't wait for us to kick the habit. You meet us at the moment of sin. Thank you, Jesus. We don't deserve that. God, I pray for people in this room that you would break chains, Lord, and that you would set free people in this room from the sin of pornography. God, that they would find freedom in their lives this week.